0: Good morning, if you would grab a Bible. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, where we'll be centering our thoughts and our study this morning. Genesis chapter 4. So good to see you this morning. Enjoyed our worship together and looking forward to this time of study that we're going to have. I want to say hello to all those who are not just visiting with us, but watching and listening online and other places. We want you to know, especially our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be with us, that we love you and we miss you. And we're glad that you're able to be with us, even if not in body, at least in the form that we have. But thank you so much for being here and paying attention, taking the time to focus on the things of God this morning. Genesis chapter 4, I'd like to begin just by reading the story, beginning in verse 1. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. In the very first family, we learn what anger can do to the home. It creates devastation. Cain destroys his brother, he destroys his family, and he ends up ruining his life because he got angry. Our theme for this year is house rules, and we're talking about principles for our homes That as Christians, as we live with our families, and as we teach our children, as we live with our mates, what should be the rules in our homes? And so this month, I would like to take our attention and focus it on the issue of anger. And the way I want to phrase this and frame this this morning is simply the idea that just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. We read a story like Cain and Abel. And I think we immediately say, wow, what an extreme. I would never do anything like that. Boy, that cane, he sure let things get out of hand. And yet the the idea behind the story is very simple. That there are some people that make us angrier than others and we usually live with them. And that ordinary people in ordinary situations sometimes become so angry with each other that they do awful things. And so domestic violence is still a huge problem. In our society, just as it has been in every society from the time of Cain and Abel. And that as Christians, we have to actually think about and take a stand against not just the egregious abuses that we sometimes see. But against the root problem, which is how we deal with and handle our anger. So maybe we're not outright violent, but we certainly do have resentment And we do say things that permanently scar our mates and our kids and our parents. We do yell and argue and throw things. And I'm certain that all of us have several stories of being both the victim and the perpetrator in times of anger. But what I want to focus on, the reason I've titled this lesson, What I Have, is something that is unique to anger in that we see in Cain that not only is Cain acting out of his anger, but when he is challenged about it by God, there is this belligerence to Cain. Cain, where is your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And even when God says, you're going to be driven out, Cain says, oh, my punishment is too great. There's no repentance for Cain. He still thinks he's right. Because when we are angry, one of the first things that happens is we immediately think, we assume, that whatever we are feeling is perfectly justified. And I want to take aim at that idea this morning. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. Paul tells us, be angry and do not sin. That there is a way anger can lead us to sin. And so just because we're angry doesn't mean we haven't sinned and doesn't mean we won't. We need to think about whether our anger is justified. The first thing I want to say about that is that anger often is misinformed and misdirected. Look in Genesis 4 and verse 3. Look at the text with me. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now we don't know exactly why God had respect for Cain's offering uh, for Abel's offering and not for Cain's. There are a lot of surmisings about that. Some people think that has to do with animals versus crops. Some people think it has to do with sacrificing the better part of one and not the better part of another. We are just not told. But what we are told is that Cain is angry about the difference in the way God treats him and his brother. But I love the fact that just like you remember the story of the prodigal son, where the older brother won't come in to the party after his brother comes back, and the father goes out to him and talks to him. God's just like that here. Here's Cain. He's sulking. He's angry. And God goes to him and says, wait a minute, Cain. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So God questions Cain, but he also reassures Cain, look, if you do well, you'll be accepted. It's not as if this game is rigged against you. You can do the same thing Abel did. But if you, don't, if you don't control your anger, sin is crouching at the door. You're in danger and you need to wake up. Then verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. What's shocking about this is that Cain seems to stew on this for a while and maybe plot and nurse his anger a little bit, and then it boils over and he kills his brother. So let's, let's be very precise here. The issue is not that Cain got angry. That's understandable. We might understand it if Cain got angry with himself. You know, I should have done better. I should have offered something better. I should have listened more to whatever instructions God had given about a sacrifice. Angry with himself, that would be fine. We might even understand it if Cain was angry with God. God, this is unfair. I feel like you've treated me poorly. Now, that doesn't mean it's right, but we would understand it. But what is not understandable is anger directed toward his brother who did nothing to him. That is unfair. That is anger that is misdirected. I'm angry at someone, and I take it out on someone else. And that is a problem Cain demonstrates about anger. I want to show you a few examples here. Leave your marker in Genesis 4. We'll come back. I want to look at a couple of examples. One is in Genesis 39. Genesis 39. That sometimes anger itself, the emotion, is not reliable as determining whether we're actually correct to be angry. Look in Genesis 39. This is the scenario where Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife keeps coming on to him. And finally she grabs his shirt or his cloak and has it and shows it to her husband Genesis 39 and verse 16 Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and she told him the same story saying the Hebrew servant whom you had brought among us came in to me to laugh at me but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So Potiphar hears this report from his wife. She says, look at what he did. He tried to come on to me, and I had to fend him off, but I even even got his shirt in the deal. Now Potiphar is furious, And we understand that, right? He should be furious. If that's what happened, yeah, I'd be mad too. And he throws him in prison. So what's the problem here? The problem is not that Potiphar's anger is not justified. The problem is that Potiphar's anger is not correctly informed. He's just wrong. He doesn't know the facts. He has believed something that's not true. And so his anger can't possibly be right, but he doesn't know it. That's one of the problems with anger is that the thing that sets us off might not be accurate. I've had this happen with my kids. And so one of my kids will come to me and say, you know, he hit me in the face. And that makes me mad as a father. So I, you know, I, I store him in. I'm going to dispense some justice. And then I say, did you hit him in the face? And then I hear, yeah, but we were wrestling. Or, yeah, but he threw this thing at me. Or, you know, there's more to the story. And then as I get more to the story, I might either get less angry, not usually, Or I usually will get angry with the other one. Okay, but but what happens there is that that first anger is not just automatically right. And sometimes when we have poor information and we act out of the poor information too quickly, we end up doing damage like Potiphar does. Potiphar throws an innocent man in prison for years because he doesn't know any better. He is acting out of his anger. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. There's another example here. Of some anger. This one is also misdirected. 2 Samuel 12. So, probably most of us are aware of the backstory here, but just to remind you, the story is that David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, and now he is being confronted by Nathan the prophet. And Nathan does this artfully by telling him a story about a rich man who takes a poor man's lamb. 2 Samuel 12, and verse 4 says, now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So he stole the guy's lamb, even though he had plenty for himself. Verse five, then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Well, there you go. David's anger was absolutely justified. He is king. He hears about this grave injustice that has happened in his kingdom, and he is angry. Should he be angry? Yes. That's a situation that should make him angry. And he is ready to judge as king. This man deserves to die, but only after he's paid back four times what he took. And then... Nathan pulls the rug out from under him and says, oh, oh, wait, we're talking about you. You're the man. Suddenly, David realizes anger was not misinformed necessarily. It was just misdirected. He was angry at this miscreant. And then he finds out he is the miscreant. So here's why I do all these stories. All of these stories tell us something about anger. They teach us that our anger is a hair trigger response. It's almost instinctual. And maybe we feel shamed like Cain does and we lash out in anger because we are ashamed. Or maybe we hear a report like Potiphar and we act out of what we've heard and assume that what we've heard is true. That happens a lot in our time, a lot in our news cycles where we just react instead of thinking and being careful to hear all the evidence and all of the facts. Or maybe it's that we judge really quickly what someone else is doing and we don't realize that in the process we're judging ourselves like David. That we're angry, but it's not so much them, it's us. Have you ever had a person act angry and harsh toward you, even though you hadn't done anything? That maybe what they're doing is, they're angry with you because of what they think you're saying or meaning, because of some problem they have in their past that is still unresolved. I actually had that happen to me this week, where a brother got really angry at me, And the further we got along in the conversation, I realized he wasn't angry at me or because of anything I was saying or doing. He was angry because of a situation he had had several years back that this reminded him of. That's a little easier to take, isn't it? When you say, oh, it's not me you're mad at. You you have some unresolved and misdirected anger. Let's bring that a little closer to home. Have you ever had stress at work and then come home and taken it out on your family? quick temper, hair trigger. The kids say or do something and you react in a disproportionate way because you are stressed. Where you can't have a a simple conversation calmly because you are angry at someone else. That is anger that is misdirected. In those situations, it's not that we need to be told to quit being angry. That's not the issue. The anger might be justified. It's that we might need to have more information about this or we might need to properly deal with it with a person that's involved. But here's what I want you to see. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. We have to be able to distinguish between anger that is appropriate and anger that is misinformed or misdirected. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me at this moment in time in our country, people are angry but they don't know who they're angry at. There is a lot of frustration because there's a virus that's really no one's fault and we can't fix it and it's nobody's fault, but we feel anger about it. And in a climate like that, we as Christians should be leading the way and being calm and deliberate about the expression of our own emotions. We can't just be angry at everybody and snapping at everyone because there's a lot of tension in our time. We need to understand just because we feel angry doesn't mean it's right to feel that or to do the things we might feel like doing because of that. Second, anger often clouds our judgment. Let's go back to Genesis 4. Let's go back to Genesis 4 and talk about Cain. Genesis 4 and verse 5, it says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain is angry, and so he is not thinking well. I think it's helpful to read God's words to Cain in verse 6 and 7 as God trying to talk some sense into him. Wait a minute, Cain. You understand that, that if you are going to do the right things, it will be fine. That this is really your fault. That you're not acting the way you should. And you need to be careful. Sin is crouching at the door. But Cain won't listen. Because sometimes when we're angry, we won't listen to anyone. Listening is not the mode that we're in. And so he is angry and he kills his brother. He seeks a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And not only that, but after that, he is completely unrepentant. As we've already mentioned, there is no sorrow. No, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I miss my brother. What have I done? Instead, he is, he is barking right back at God. See, what's going on with Cain is that he is just so convinced that he's right. That every action, every word is justified. It's appropriate. And that's what anger does to us. It's a lot like alcohol. That one of the most important parts of alcohol and its effect on humans is that it causes us to lower our inhibitions and to damage the part of us that does reasoning. We just don't think well. That's what anger does. It clouds our judgment. So you know as well as I do that when you're in the moment of anger, what you say, what you think, what you do feels right. And I am saying, just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. This is Daniel 3 and verse 19. And I want you to think about as as you read this passage with me. This is the passage where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. And I want you to think about What this means in terms of the intensity of what Nebuchadnezzar is feeling and then doing. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He was already mad, but now he is filled with fury. We're talking veins bulging, teeth gritting. We're talking anger beyond anger. So angry. I mean, how are you going to kill people deader than dead? Seven times hotter than normal? I mean, wouldn't the regular fire kill them too? Instead, you're going to get it so hot that it's going to kill the people who are throwing them in. All seems fine to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he feels right. He's too mad to think straight. Have you ever been there? Jonah, chapter 4. After Jonah preaches to the city of Nineveh, reluctantly, he is angry that God has shown mercy to them. He's angry that they repented. And now he is talking to God. It says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And God has this conversation. We've talked about this before. God has this conversation and he asks him, verse four, do you do well to be angry? I love how God challenges Jonah's anger, just like he did with Cain. Why are you so angry? What what part of this are you not getting? Like this makes perfect sense, Jonah, Cain. And yet Jonah barks back at God. Yes, I'm right to be angry. I'm right to be angry even to death. I don't even think he hears how he's talking to God. Because that's what anger does to us. It clouds our judgment. My suspicion is that I don't need to quote a whole bunch of scriptures to prove this to you. In fact, I think if we were to just stop the sermon here and, and just go person to person through the room, maybe with a little truth serum, and say, what, what's the dumbest, worst, most regretful thing you've done in your anger? I think we'd be here for a while, and I think we'd have some stories to tell. We'd laugh at everybody else's, by the way, and then be ashamed at our own. I have witnessed, personally, firsthand, people kicking dents into trucks, people threatening other people with guns, people smashing expensive electronics, and then I have to tell you that I myself have done at least the following things. When I was a high schooler, I played tennis, and I would, when I made an error, repeatedly hit myself in the head with my tennis racket. I have yelled at people and thrown things at them. I have smashed windows in my anger. And in every case, in every single one of those cases, given a moment of calm, I would never have done it. Now, what about you? Anything you can say about your anger and what you've done? The real danger here is that when we're angry, we don't even notice. It just feels right. And like Jonah, we need to remember, just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. So the next time you're angry, watch your words. Watch your actions. Think about what you're saying and doing. Ask the question, does this Make sense. Should I be doing this? Does this demonstrate good judgment? Let's go back to Genesis 4. Well, I'm still here. Uh, The third thing I want to show you is that anger often does damage. I don't think we need to talk too long about this from Cain and Abel. The damage is pretty obvious. Look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, as much as Cain is unrepentant here, he will always remember this day. I mean, it is a day that the world for him changes forever. And it is an unspeakable tragedy for everyone. Imagine what happens the next time Cain sees his mom and dad. Can you imagine? I killed your boy. Why? got mad I wonder how many people there are in the world who have a dark day like this as a part of their histories one moment where in anger they did something that their whole life turned on from then on I wonder how many people there are like that in this room who can tell stories about how their lives changed for the worse because of what they did or someone did to them in anger and it's not just physical things Have you ever noticed how you feel when someone in your presence is extremely angry? When you see somebody and they are just, you know, not just mad, maybe not even just yelling, but they're furious. You don't know what they're going to do. It is the fear of seeing another human being completely out of control. It is terrifying. Now imagine what it is like for a child to see a parent who is supposed to be a protector. Now, you have to be protected from them. And what can you do? Where can you go? That fear, that terror, does damage. If there are people who are hearing my voice, who have experienced that physical abuse, I'm so very sorry for that. You have my sympathy, you have my support. But I also want you to know, that the most common way this kind of damage manifests is not physical. It's verbal. Let's go to James chapter 3. I want you to see the way James talks about this. James chapter 3. This is verse 5. Full of deadly poison. Most commonly, we hurt one another in our anger by the things that we say. And so James says the tongue is a fire. It is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Every one of us holds memories of something awful someone said to us or about us. Every one of us. That person may even be dead, but their words have not died. We still remember them. They still hurt. The poison is still there. And what's really scary, what's really hurtful about words like this that do this kind of damage is that when someone says something really awful to us, we really are worried that what they're saying is the truth. They're telling us how they really feel about us. They're telling us who we really are, that we really are in their eyes, lazy or greedy or ugly or stupid or selfish And that when they say that, now we finally see their heart. And so we are wounded. I am convinced that all of us need a deeper awareness of the damage anger does in our homes. There is a reason Jesus tells us that in order to deal with murder, we need to deal with our anger. There is a reason Paul tells us be angry and do not sin. It damages other people. About two weeks ago, I was thinking about this sermon. I knew this one was coming up. And uh, I was with two of my kids. We were in the car. Uh, One of them had a little object, a little piece of plastic that cost about $10. And I told him when I got it for him to take care of it, be careful with it. I said that over and over again, repeatedly. Anyway, lo and behold, one of them lost this little object. And when I heard that in the car, I was frustrated. And uh, I took my phone and I slammed it on the console of our car. Sorry. I raised my voice. I ranted for a few minutes. I looked in the rearview mirror into the eyes of my precious child, and I saw tears. Not because of anything they had done, but because I was so angry, I had scared them. And I'd done it over a $10 piece of plastic. I apologized then and later. And even today, I apologize. What I said to my kids, it's okay for me to be frustrated. I even would say it's okay for me to be angry. But I shouldn't have acted like that. And I'm still ashamed to scar my kids' hearts. That's what anger does. So I don't say, tell you that story because I'm proud of it. I think you can tell that. I tell that story because in some small way, it shows us what anger can do and why we need to pay attention if we want to show our children and our homes how Christians deal with their anger. So what do we do? Anger is often misinformed and misdirected. It clouds our judgment. It does damage. I want you to go with me to James chapter 1. Now I'm going to give you three thoughts from James 1 that will be the answer to what we've talked about. James 1 and verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I hope you see that in context, James is trying to push us toward how we listen to and interact with God. But in doing so, he gives us three thoughts in verse 19 that I think will be helpful even in our anger with one another. First is, be quick to hear. And this is the answer to the idea that anger is often misinformed and misdirected. When we are swift to hear, Things change. What this means is, if we are quick to hear, we let information drive our anger and our emotions instead of just responding to what we're feeling. James is not saying you should never feel anything. He is saying, often we respond without fully understanding. Often we just react and then think our reaction is justified. This will help us. Am I sure this is accurate? Am I sure this is the person I need to be angry at if I'm going to be angry? Or is there any person that I need to be angry at? Or should I even be angry at all? So in the home, that's going to mean that we collect all the information and that we're careful to say, okay, here is what really happened. I'm sure of all the facts. Now I'm going to respond. Or it could be that we say, you know, I feel this and I feel like not having this conversation with my kids, but it's not my kids that are the problem. And so if I'm swift to hear, I stop myself and I direct my anger and I inform my anger appropriately. The second thing he says is that we should be slow to speak, which will help us with this problem of clouded judgment. Think carefully before you respond in anger. Slow to speak. If we know that anger keeps us from thinking clearly, then we really must stop saying the first thing that pops into our heads. We must Because anger will not be appropriate. Slow to speak gives us an opportunity for some space between what we think and feel and what we end up saying. James has already talked about, we read this in chapter 3, that no man can tame the tongue. If that's the case, that means that we can't ever trust it to just fly out and do whatever it wants. We cannot take the leash off our tongue. So, slow to speak means... That I'm asking the question, am I right to be angry about this? Is this feeling justified? Why is this bugging me so bad? What is it about this? Is it really that much of a problem? Be slow to speak and it will give you the time and space to have better judgment. And the third thing is, if anger does damage, then we can be slow to anger. Slow to anger is the admonition not to be too angry Too easily or too often. Have a long fuse instead of a short fuse. Anger is a natural emotion, but we can get into the habit of anger. In fact, the Proverbs talk about this. Someone who is quick to anger. You know, they're easily set off. And we talk about that. You know, he always flies off the handle. He's got a short temper. That is a a problem of habitual anger. That we let things affect us more than we should. We all know that there are people that we have to walk on eggshells around. You never know what's gonna set them off. I don't wanna say the wrong thing here or here or here. Don't be that person, that person who can't help themselves. They're gonna get angry about anything and everything all the time. That is a choice. James says, be slow to anger. So, my encouragement for you this week, as you deal with problems, as you deal with the anger that's boiling around in our society, as you deal with the stresses of your week. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Anger doesn't make it right. Just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. My encouragement is let's turn our homes into safe places where we trust one another, where we're showing kindness and love to one another, and not where anger reigns. Let's remember, just because you're angry doesn't mean you're right. Appreciate your attention this morning. We've come to that point in our service where we offer the invitation. This is a time for you to make known to us any need that you have. If you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus by being baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away, we'd love to help you do that, talk more with you about that. If you have a need for something we can pray with you about or help you with, Now is the time. Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.